So I'm looking at this task-oriented obligation. It is to make sure they find the driver that hit my daughter. I thought that marriage was just, hey, me and you, we get together. and I got the last name, you got the last name. And then we stand at the same house and we have babies and that's it. Nah, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we, we are more similar than different. So we've not only created an avenue where people can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Tiffany and Brandon Ward, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Having us. So, and, and you guys are in Vegas, I understand. Yes. Well, I guess what yes. happens in Vegas is now going to be out in the world. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Tiffany and Brandon, they have a great story, and we will definitely get into their story and their nonprofit and also Brazil, right? I think that's your daughter's name? Yes. Awesome. Well, before we get into your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? Um, my name is Tiffany Ward. Um, I'm from Compton, California, in San Bernardino, California. I'm 35 years old, and I am a certified disc practitioner and business owner. And author as well. I forgot. I forget all my... <laughs> what's, what's the name of your book? Um, I'm a three-time author, so I'm um, from Tragedy to Testimony is my first book, and then I also have a children's book called Brazil Save Ventures, and I have a, a journal called the Manifesting Mommy's Journal. It's a 90-day planner for entrepreneurial moms. That's great. And are all those on Amazon? Uh, yes. Great. All of them are on Amazon. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Me, I'm her husband. <laughs> <laughs> No, we've been married for how long now? 14 years? 14 years. Yeah, we've been for 14 years, but I'm Brandon Ward. I am a certified business coach. I'm a life coach. I am a speaker, mentor. I'm also an author, and I have two books. My books are The Pain of a Man and also The Manifest and Playbook. Other than that, uh, I'm a leader in the community, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually creating my legacy as we speak, and... Uh, I hope that next time we talk, I can even add some more. Awesome. <laughs> can you guys tell us the story of how you met? We actually met in high school. We were friends in high school, but he moved away. And then we ended up 
Seoul were like, I was like 15, 15 or 16 years old. And then we had years of not even seeing each other. We both ended up moving back out to moving out here to Las Vegas on our own and connected here. And it was like magic, like right away. We were together and we were together. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was like we saw, oh, it was like just seeing a familiar face. Like we hadn't had any communication after I had left California. So when I saw her in Las Vegas, it was it was like destiny, right? It, it was it was destined to happen. So when I saw her, I was like, oh my, oh, I've seen you before. Yeah. <laughs> and that broke the ice really fast, which uh, pretty much accelerated our life from there. <laughs> I remember the first thing that he said to me was like, wow, you look different. <laughs> because I didn't look anything like I did in high school. <laughs> So how soon after you guys um, got together, did you know you were a couple? After we found out we were pregnant. (laughs) How soon was that? (laughs) Pretty much right away. It was right away. It was right away. Um, That's all in pain of a man because there's a flip side to that part. But, (laughs) but yeah, we really didn't start dating or call ourselves officially dating until we, I was like seven months pregnant. Full commitment. It was uh, after we had moved to California, and once we had moved to California while she was pregnant, it was just it was a commitment that pretty much had to be made, and that was what we did. We committed to each other from then on, and then uh, I'm pretty sure you probably want to know how how fast after that we got married. It was quick. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll go ahead. I'm gonna ask questions. So what, oh, what oh. was that piece in there? That's in pain of a man. <laughs> What's the, what's the piece in uh, Pain of a Man? Do I think they may need to purchase the book to find that out, yeah, right? Cause it, it, <laughs> yeah, because it, it honestly is. It's the, it's it all the, ties in there, into the everything. Wrap, yeah, it's the wraparound behind the pain. Uh, you know, it's, it's when you're dealing with any type of tragedy or you're dealing with any type of uh, any type of pain on the inside and how it kind of follows you throughout your life, especially uh, childhood pain or young adult pain and things that you haven't you haven't addressed things that are constantly on your mind that are kind of like beating you up. And then eventually uh, they were, it was addressed, but it took a certain situation in order for it to be addressed. So through the pain had, I had to develop some courage and, uh, and things turned out for the best. And, and but it is in the book, though. I, I, I want to tell you. But I know, I but it's like part, it kind of kills the whole like suspense. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's really like facing I, your truth. I think that's a really good kind of synopsis that will get our listeners to go and get the buy the book. And and I I, so I have to I have to say that you know there aren't too many books out there for men specifically, you know, to talk about like. That transition, that bridge between adolescence and becoming a man, you know, and there aren't too many role models, too, that are helping our young boys go over that bridge into manhood, you know, so kudos to you because, you know, those that's it's absolutely really necessary, I think, right now. It was intentional, honestly. And, you know, just like with everything, it was on time. When the book was released, it was on time. So for those who need it, I'm pretty sure they'll come across it. And it helped them, just like with any any other any other art form that's out there. So how soon did you guys get married? 
<laughs> um, we got married. So we got together 2004 and we got married in 2006. Okay. So the two years, it's I think we spent about five months engaged. So that's what it was. We, we, we got engaged. Five. It was three. No. We got engaged on, on Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Yeah. And then we were married. That in, in May. In May. So it was all bang, bang, bang. You you guys so might, that was the you guys might not know this, but we got married on Valentine's Day. Ah, oh, did you? Right. Well, happy love anniversary. Love. <laughs> Cupid love. What was it like for you guys to adjust to becoming sort of instant family? Not just a couple and a married couple, but you already had kid, one kid, or did you have more than one at that time? We had one, and then we found out we were pregnant with our second right after the wedding. So we probably got pregnant on the honeymoon. Well, instant or, family, though. Yeah, the instant family. It was hard. It was hard. We even were at a point, we were living with, both of us were living with our parents at the time, and things were just not working out there. So we moved in together. And then he immediately went into, like, a, um, his, uh, he became a police officer. So that's why we moved out to Vegas. And everything just changed from there. Yeah, for me, looking back at it, it was uh, it was a rush. You know, we it was rushed. I come from a big family. My, my father was in and out of my life, so it was just one of my things about me because I went through that childhood trauma of what I did experience. I just knew I wanted to be a great father and I wanted to be a great husband, and that was what I dedicated myself to. And once she told me she was pregnant, it was like, okay, let me do all the things I need to do to be a good man for, for my family. And that was what my main uh, perspective was. So that was why I wanted to go into, you know, getting a career immediately. That was why I went into the police academy, because at that age, it was one of the one careers that I qualified for. And it was a desire of mine to help people. So I went into that. So it kind of just rushed me into my adulthood. How would you define a good man? I, I, I'll start it. Uh, good man to me is this is first off, he handles he handles his responsibilities. We all have certain responsibilities that we are afforded in life, either God has given to us or just the responsibilities that we have created for ourselves. So as a man, it's our responsibility to take care of those responsibilities. And if any man is doing that however he does it, then I feel like he's a good man. Um, for me, it's about security, protection. It's about fee- being true, um, true and genuine. Everything else we can work out. We can figure everything else out. But I need you to be true to me in order for me to feel like we would be a real family. Yeah, and, I, and I don't even think that it has to even be, uh, like I said, it doesn't even have to be somebody who has kids and a wife. Just as long as he is handling his responsibilities. He's a good man. Absolutely. You know, one of the uh, the exercises I give the men that I work with, because when we work with couples, I work with the, the men, and Jean works with the women, and I do individual work, and then we come back together, and we do couples work, right? And so we work with uh, the two of them together. So one of the, the assignments I give them is to define what it means to be a good father, what it means to be a good husband, and what it means to be a good man in this world. And and so it's really awesome to kind of hear, you know, that you had to go through that, you know, and you had to figure out what that definition meant for you, 
right? Because for each of us, we have to define that for ourselves. And then we have to live up to that and, you know, and, and honor the man in the mirror. It's very important that you research and you learn, uh, you know, from other good men. You know, there's a lot of books out there where men have shared their stories and similar to like me sharing my story, I consider myself a good man. But, you know, when people had those stories, just reading them and learning from them and then applying some of that knowledge to your life so you don't make the same mistakes as others. Tiffany, what was it like for you to go through his transitions? How did you influence him? How did that influence your life? For me, it was all about support. It was about making sure that he knew that he had somebody in his corner because I understood his upbringing as he understood mine. So when it came to, he knew that I was big on family. For me, a success was not money. It was not having the big fancy cars or anything like that. It was about having a secure, stable family and being around people that I can trust. And as long as he was able to give that to me, I was able to give him all of me. So that came with, I was spit shining shoes with him. I was making sure I did pop-up quizzes with him. I was um, his, not only his number one fan, but I was also his co-pilot. So as much as he was learning, I was learning too. And we kind of, we kind of set that narrative in the beginning. So that was one of the things that definitely worked in, a, in the beginning parts of our marriage. Was that ever a worry for you right in the beginning when you found out you were pregnant? Yes. Yes, it was because neither one of us were stable at the time. But I knew that I wanted a family. So when this when it came about, I was more so afraid of how he would react because I was definitely used to hearing the stigma of the, the father not being around or not even wanting to be around. Um, but he completely had a different outlook on it where I wasn't, I wasn't fearful from the day I told him I was pregnant. Did and you from co- the day he had proposed to me as well. Did you come from a similar, similar family background that Brandon did? Um, yes, yes, absolutely. We both uh, grew up in single parent homes um, moving place to place and trying to figure out where we were safe. Um, he dealt, he dealt with a, a more of a, of domestic violence and I dealt with more like sexual abuse, but it was all still the one in the same. And that was one thing that I didn't have was anyone to make me feel protected as, as a kid. And he, and he had to find out, he had to find an outlet for his for things that were going on with him at his home. So that's where we were able to kind of come together and see that. Well, we didn't know this at the time, but we were two broken people trying to trying to raise each other. I think we did a pretty good job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say you guys had to evolve together and figure it out together. How did you guys go from Vegas to California and then back? Like, how was, what was the decision making, you know, about all that? You wanted to get away from our families? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I, with me, when I, when I first came to Vegas, I came out to Vegas because my grandmother had got sick and she was living here. So I left 
my senior year in high school came to Vegas to live here and to be with her. And then she got healthy. She moved back to California. I stayed. And then when Tiffany got pregnant, we went back to California. It was, a you know, going back to one of the questions you had asked Tiffany about was she scared when she had got pregnant. Although she probably would have been scared or not scared, she has family support on, on her side and on my side. So that was one thing that we did have. And that was one thing that influenced our, our move going back to California. But once she got pregnant, I had to get a career and be looking for a career. I became a police officer in Vegas. So that move back, it just kind of like, um, it, it kind of just the, the moves, it like orchestrated our entire life so far. And now, now that we're, we're, we're here and we've been here for so long. Now we're talking about leaving again, but not going back to California. No, no. <laughs> Is this, it started the narrative for us. Is this something that you guys had innately in you that you really wanted to be in a safe environment, in a safe family unit structure rather than what you grew up in? Are your siblings, did they do the same? How did you guys get from what you were role modeled as kids to this? As the oldest, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 yeah, no, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. Um, with that, it was something that both of us had a common interest is that we definitely did not want to bring up our children the same way that we were. I feel like we were one of the lucky ones to get out of the situation the way that we did no records or anything like that. Um, and, and yes, both of our, both of our parents, um, they did the best that they can, that they could, but we wanted to make sure that we stopped that generational curse and we're really, that set the platform of making sure that we didn't do the things that they did do. We know that we don't want to give up on our marriage and we are willing to fight for it. A lot of, especially once we found out reasons of why our parents separated, we're like, it sounds like a bunch of ego. It sounds like something that could have, could have been fixed had you put your egos aside and compromised and figured things out. So that's what I see in a lot of other marriages as well is that no one's really ready to meet in the middle. So for me, yeah, I wanted to make sure that as long as we had a common ground and understood that we once we're in this, we're in this, and it's been okay ever since. <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm more, or let's say, I just didn't want to make the same mistakes. I didn't, I didn't want my kids to feel the pain that I felt to to suffer when I, like I suffered, just, I just didn't want to, you know, that it kind of just created a mindset, which I had that same mindset to this day. And that was just my main, uh, that was just the main, that was the main mindset going into it is I just didn't want to do the same thing my parents had done. Even like becoming a police officer, I became a police officer because my mother was a drug dealer and she was a felon and so was my dad. So how do I break the curse? I become a police officer, you know, just just little things like that. And and now that I'm older, like I've studied psychology, I've read so many books and I've, I've realized that it's like I've been chasing that carrot all my life, trying to fulfill the pain that I that I experienced from when I was a child. And it's it's, it's just it's crazy that it's so simple when you say it like that. But when you start breaking it down into the pieces, it, it'll break you down. 
Yeah, it's quite a journey. It's it's always looks like it was planned when you get there and you look back. But when you're going through it, it doesn't feel like that at all. And it, you know, it's really hard to appreciate, you know, all of the uh the pain and the really the unknownness of what am I going to do and how do I pull that off? One thing that a lot of couples do if if their partner's not meeting their needs, they tend to overbond with their kids. Did you guys have anything like that in the beginning with your kids where, you know, you kind of had a closer relationship with the children than you did with each other? Or were you always able to have that balance? Personally, after Brazil's accident, that's exactly what happened with me. I was I formed a, a strong, strong bond with Brazil because I was I was her nurse. I was her caregiver. I made sure everything was OK for her. I couldn't sleep without being near her and it did it it, put, it took a, a toll on our marriage and it was it, that was a really really hard time maybe, maybe we can maybe we can kind of take us back to that day you know and and then kind of work forward you know so that our listeners know what the accident actually was how old is that oh, how old are the kids all the kids at the time and yeah tell us what happens that day um, the, we had three children at the time. Um, uh, Brandon, Brandon Jr. was eight, Brazil was six, and um, Berlin was one. And it was Halloween night, 2013. We were trick-or-treating. Uh, we went to a, uh, a trunk-or-treat event in, an, in a community we had just moved into. And upon leaving that event, we were crossing the street um, as a family um, safely and a car going about 80 miles an hour. Uh, tried to run through the, the crowd that we were in and my our daughter was hit by the car and uh, she suffered a traumatic brain injury. Um, dad did save her life. He performed life-saving measures, CPR. Um, she was given a 10% chance of survival, but she is, and she was in a two-month coma, but she is here with us and she survived. She, um, she does have a traumatic brain injury and a right side deficiency and she but she's thriving she's 13 now and she is thriving and walking 90 percent of the time and she just loves being a a normal kid as much as possible what what was that night like for you brandon i guess it was like an awakening i would say uh it was the night where i guess it's the night when everything stopped for me because i just remember everything stopping i think that Every all my activity was all based off of training and things that I had experienced. Just have you know, being a prior police officer, I, I had known how to to deal with traumatic situations and not really fold in that type of situation. So uh, I just went through the motions on what I was guided to do, and I did what I had to do. And looking back at it, uh, you know, it's hard to say thank God you know, for that night, but I, I just thank God that there's a now and that night didn't define our lives. So uh, that's how I feel about it. It definitely changed it. But yeah, oh yeah, it did it change yeah, it changed it. our lives. Yeah. And, and Tiffany, you, you started saying that, you know, it kind of took a toll a little bit on your, on your marriage. Maybe you guys can now descri- describe, you know, kind of what that was like for the two of you at that time. That was very hard. That was probably the hardest situation that I have ever been through in my life. 
um, being that she was in the hospital at the time for seven months. So we were in and out the hospitals, switching off days and someone raising our one-year-old, she's turning two and she's, everyone else is raising her but us. Um, so I made, I made a vow to God, save my baby and I will make sure that she is taken care of. And I felt like I need to hold my end of the bargain. She is here and she's with us. So I, I wasn't Brandon's wife at that time. I wasn't even really the, the other kid's mother. I was her mother, her caregiver, her, um, I did literally everything for her and I didn't want to do anything else. And as much as he would hint around or say, you know, I, I, I still need you. I would tell him I've got pretty much, you know, without saying it, like, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing that I can do right now because she needs me. He's like, but I need you too. I'm like, okay, but that doesn't mean anything to me right now. It's not as important. And I, and I did, I showed it more than I said it because I suffered through depression, anxiety, PTSD from the accident. Um, it was, it was all a big blur in the beginning, but looking back on it, like I, I'm surprised that we're still together today because we did end up separating. We did end up separating for about a year because of everything that was going on. Like it was a lot. I pushed him away, not knowing I really was, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Definitely. And, and we've heard couples that go through, you know, trauma and, and what that, that toll is and, and, you know, what toll it takes on the relationship. Yeah, Brandon, what was that experience like for you? Traumatic experience is is something that you really have to go through in order to understand because you become very numb. You become very numb in the beginning, and you think that you are okay, but you're really not okay. You know, it's, you're just numb. Like every your life has just completely stopped. And uh, what I did was because I was going through so much pain. That was when I started really working on uh, personal development, but it took me to to have to like I got addicted to like alcohol, or got addicted to like caffeine, and or I got addicted to sex. You know, certainly, you know, just started having these addictions and starting to realize that I was doing everything I could to make myself feel better. You know, to, to heal, trying to heal myself, myself, and going through that took me through a personal development stage where I had to find myself and I had to find my relationship with God that went outside of the Bible. It had to, you know, it was deep within. So it, it, I, I, I messed up in some areas and uh, I fixed myself in some areas as well. Uh, but going through that stage, I don't know. You just, you never know because when you're married, you may be getting better, but your, your, your significant other, your wife or your spouse, they aren't. And no matter how well you're doing, if your spouse isn't doing well, you're not doing well. And it, it felt like an anchor. And then I started looking at Tiffany like like she was an anchor at, at a certain time because I'm like, come on, you got to get better. How can you get better if you're depressed? And how can you get better if they're not trying to make you better? They give you medicine and you know, just dealing with everything that I was dealing with, being exhausted, just 
it was it was a very tough experience for me as a man trying to keep my family together and then also trying to you know trying to keep stay, yourself together stay inspired and motivated to stay alive yeah yeah because he even got to a point where it got to a point where everybody was really checking in on me and the kids but nobody was really checking on him and it did like it made me upset because I'm like he I'm hurting but he's hurting too like he's the one that literally had the 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 decision of saving her in his hands because he knew CPR. I didn't. So if he wasn't there, I wouldn't have been able to, to save her the way he did. And so, but people have this stigma that, Oh, especially in the black community, if we're strong. The men's aren't supposed to cry. Men aren't supposed to be um, show weakness that show signs of weakness. And, and that's what we, I grew up at that with that in mind. I knew I wanted a strong man that didn't cry, that didn't, you know, that showed that he was masculine. In order to show your masculinity, this is what you have to be. And he did do that, but I didn't really feel like it was fair to him because just as much as I needed to cry, he needed to cry. He needed to get that emotion out. Otherwise, it was going to go other places. So that's what happens again in our community because you suppress it. Suppress it with drugs, sex those type of things. So, I mean, you were going through your own depression at that time too, but you just had to stuff it in and kind of deal with it on your own. Mask it. I masked it. Did you have any certain moments where you had the, those big wake up calls where, you know, whether it was an idea that came to your mind or something that just like, you know what I have to, I have to change. I got to get this right. Me, it honestly was, it was like through YouTube. <laughs> I came across like, a, well, first it was Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And when I realized that my, my mind was thinking and my, my thoughts was what was controlling my day and controlling my emotions, that was when I started to realize like, ooh, I better figure this out. Like I better figure out how to control these thoughts. So I started meditating um, I started listening to audio books and I just started my spiritual journey from there. And that, that was that was really it. Once I figured out that my mind was controlling my situation, my emotions and the energy that I was putting out into the world, that was when I started to make my change. That's a really important thing. And it's a big of the premise of when we're working with people, you can only do what you've always done or you can only do what you know. And that feeding of your brain of new information and different ways of being in the world is so important. And we have actually a program on every Tuesday night at eight o'clock where we do a little teaching and we do a meditation just for anyone who wants to come and join us. It's Couple Synergy Connections. And that has been life-changing in my, my life as well. I had a pretty violent childhood and you know I started meditating fairly young in life, I became a mom. I was a single mom for 10 years. And it, it is really amazing how those kind of things change your life in ways that is kind of undescribable when you're trying to like tell someone else that, hey, this could be helpful. You know, how would you describe what it did for you? If I described it, it would be like little boxes, little box. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We know that show too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but what it did is, um, it felt like 
so my mind would have all of these thoughts and it would be, you gotta be here, here, gotta be here, gotta be here, gotta be here. And what I learned was how to separate the thoughts. And once I learned how to separate the thoughts, I learned how to control the thoughts. And then I learned how to try to have a free mind and, and, and observe the thoughts as they came into my mind and the emotions that the thought would carry with it. And then I was able to distinguish the feelings, how it would, uh, how it would make me feel on the inside. And then once I, once I, once I found out that I was in control of the emotion behind it, then I had control over the emotions that I went through. And, uh, and honestly, it was life changing because I needed it more than anything, because I think the next chapter in my life, I went through the most pain <laughs> ever. And I needed that meditation to get through it. So, uh, and that's yeah. in the book, right? Yeah, that, that's in the book. <laughs> that is in the book. But honestly, it's like, it's like separating your thoughts. And in another way people say it is like, if you imagine like a, a river and, and, you know, it only goes one way. And you got like the fish and they only go one way and fish are like thoughts. And when those thoughts come in, you can see them come in and you can see them go. And you can also see the next one as it comes in. And I think once you have that type of mindfulness, you can really you can really control so much of, of your life because you, you no longer act on impulse. You no longer act on emotions. You're you're in complete control. If you're able to think and identify things, you're able to see see opportunities uh, before they even uh, before they even exist. So it, it was powerful for me. That was what the experience was like. What was the shift for you? Like for for most men, they really don't kind of reach out for something different. They don't. They try to maintain status quo, right? Don't rock the boat, kind of thing. So they don't really reach out for you know growth. They don't go on YouTube and look for Eckhart They don't Tolle. go on YouTube and read <laughs> Eckhart Tolle. Like, I've never heard that, right? So it usually takes some type of epiphany, right? Some type of pivotal moment that, you know, they, they look at their past, they look at their present, and they're like, I just don't want to do what I've been doing. I need something different, and I need to reach out for something different. And what, So what was that moment for you that made you shift like that? Going through the the transition with, uh, with you know with, with Brazil, going from coma to to um, what is it? The at home, like oh, the re- re- rehabilitation, rehabilitation, and then her go through those stages. You know, going from pretty much becoming a baby all over again, and then have, just happened to her body having to heal. So as I watched her heal, and then. I watched her have to regain strength internally. Then she had to regain strength in her muscles. And it was kind of like a step-by-step process. Like every week we had to really be grateful by day. Well, actually every day we was grateful by day by day. Mm -hmm. And then after we got out of the hospital, it was like, okay, be grateful by the week. But we always expected her to either get stronger, to get better. We always, you know, and she continuously developed and got stronger and and even when she was in pain she smiled through it that inspired me Mm. right her journey inspired me it was like okay if she can do it i can do it but god don't ever have to put me through this type of trauma ever again let me get up right now and get to it and and when i got to that it it was just like it, it unlocked something inside of me and then 
I had really felt like I was achieving my best self, but as I was achieving my best self, I did have to deal with my my, my demons. You know, I still had things that I had to, that the wrongs that I had done from the past. No matter how good that I was becoming, I still had to deal with that stuff. So um, there was an infidelity where Tiffany had found out about it like a year later, and it was like while I was at my best moment, and it was at while she was at her best moment as well. And honestly, that kind of just broke us completely down. I was no longer focusing on myself. I was no longer working out. I was no longer reading. It was just, I, and then, I, and then, in order for me to pick myself back up, I had to pretty much let Tiffany go. Like I had mentally, I had to be like, okay, I gotta let Tiffany go so I can build up myself and I can take care of me. And I'm pretty sure that's what she went through on her end because she ended up leaving. And when she left, you know, she had to separate herself so she can find herself. And by the luck of God, we got back together. So, um, but that's because we decided to intertwine our personal development with our marriage development. Like we had to accept both of us were like, we were able to like fully acknowledge and take accountability. Hey, I wasn't your wife at this time. You know, I'm not giving you a pass and saying like, that's okay it doesn't mean that what you did was okay. It's just like, I mean, from hindsight, I get it. It's not like it was something that was just completely far-fetched, but in the same sense, it doesn't mean that I deserved it. So we just need to come, if we're going to come back together and be together, it's going to be a common ground where we understand this can't happen. This is not a part of our normal marriage. This is not a part of our normal. And we're able to assess each other and understand now our communication is out of this world now. Yeah. Was that and I guess was that I part of your wake up, it. Tiffany? Was that part like finding out about his affair? Um, that well, actually, the the crazy part is is when I was going through my depression, I was going through it in front of cameras, in front of people, and so many people were telling me, "Oh, you're so strong. You're going through." Because our, our story was pretty well known out here in Vegas uh, because they never caught the driver still to this day. So they wanted us to be out there to be, you know, spread the story and spread, you know, safety about it. And so that was the part that got me up and going. That was the only thing that really kept me moving at that point, because I'm like, I'm fighting for her. So I'm looking at this task oriented obligation it is to make sure that they find the driver that hit my daughter. So I'm going to get, that was my, my resistance was more, it was less when it had to do with priorities for her. So I'm focused on her at this point. I ended up even writing the book. I wrote tragedy testimony about what she went through, what our family went through and tragedy testimony started doing really, really well. What happened with that, it was with his infidelity it hit me like a ton of bricks because I wasn't expecting it because I mean, I was really that much out of it, like completely not paying attention to him to where I never even saw any signs. So that when I, when I had to walk away, I walked away because I did, I need to figure out what was this really, I don't want to be in a marriage that's going to be there only for the kids. Cause at the end of the day, the kids are going to move away. The kids are going to go and live their own life. And I want to be able to be friends and in love with the person that I chose to spend the rest of my life with. I want to create memories with my husband. So I'm like, obviously he doesn't, you know, I'm thinking in my head, he doesn't want to do this with me. 
So if you that's what type of part if that what a part of a marriage is for you, I'm leaving. But I I understand where he was coming from. Like it, oh, it's not going to happen again. Things like that. But I'm like, uh, it didn't happen before. So it's not like it's something that I can just necessarily forgive. But when I started, when I'm there by myself and I had to be by myself away from my family, he would have the kids at that time because we did do our separate times together. Um, I was able to self-assess and, and I was going to school at the time for psychology. So this psychology class is really getting me to thinking outside of what I'm, what I've been taught to think about when it comes to a marriage. So now I'm thinking about it from all standpoints. We even got to the point where we were in court. They said, all we had to do is hit the gavel and we would have been divorced. And if I wouldn't have spoken up, I don't know if that, if this would be still the same situation because I knew I didn't want it to be over. I just wanted to, I guess, I don't even really know what I was doing at that point. Maybe they're trying to send a message, but you can't play with someone's life like that. So I, I was like, I need to figure out him. So me trying to figure out him, I had to learn by myself. So Tiffany, what do you want from him? What are you looking for from him? He's been great. He was cool. It was all good. But what about now? What are you looking for moving forward? And if we wouldn't have those type of conversations, I don't, I think that it would have still been, once we got back together, it probably would have still been me feeling like I'm a warden, me saying something to him about, about just anything. But because we decided to not only talk to each other, but also do uh, assessments on each other and understand each other's behavior and our tendencies, we realized even doing, um, even assessments on each other, we found out we were even approaching each other wrong through our whole marriage. We could have been re- reducing conflict and tension and talking to each other if we would have known how each other operate and not just like love language. Love language is good, but learning yourself in its entirety is what helped us through through our trials and tribulations. Yeah, that learning yourself is, is the most important part. Sometimes you got to go through your darkest moments to really learn yourself because, uh, when you're complacent or you're comfortable, you really don't do much searching. <laughs> so you don't. You feel you're good where you're at, pain, and everybody else is the problem. Yeah, the pain may, may, makes you explore. Yeah, it's like working out with uh, the light weights. They don't really help you too much. <laughs> it's right, those heavy exactly. weights that get you going. <laughs> you got a challenge. You got to challenge yourself. And honestly, that was the biggest challenge that our marriage has been through. And I mean. I'm so thankful that we did not let our egos get in front of. You know, I, I feel like with anything in life, uh, whenever there is, it, it, there's lack or there's like something that's inadequate, it'll be exposed in due time. You know, it, you know what you don't do now or what you do now, it'll all have a result later on in life. And, mm-hmm. and like people, some people call it karmetic. I mean, you, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but what it goes around comes around. Yeah. But if you work hard, if you study, you know, you can get, you know, you can get the best of the best. So it's just really being aware of that and, um, you know, not feeling as if you really can just be out here doing whatever you want to do, because yeah. everything that we do, it, it there, it's energy behind it. And <laughs> that energy will come back and you can call it. Like I say, you call it whatever you want to call it, but it is, it, it happens and things happen. But, you know, 
in areas where we were inadequate, like uh, communication. And we didn't know, you know, we didn't know. We just communicated based off of how we just normally communicated with each other. But once we was able to study communication, understand communication, and then apply that, you know, that understanding, now I understand why you act the way you acted in that situation. Now I understand why I acted the way I acted. You know, now I got to change my approach. And, you know, it really did. I guess through all my, through all our pain and through all the, the worst moments, uh, we've grown from them. And that's what's pushed us to grow. Did you guys get any guidance on how to work on your communication, right? To turn things around from a gavel dropping to actually coming back together and reuniting? Honestly, I would say we we assessed within us. It took us being knowledgeable and taking time to look stuff up. And what, what's so funny is we actually started something through a job I was working at. I got a, a personality assessment with them. It's called DISC. And it was to focus on work. And it was so spot on about me. I'm like, hey, you need to read this about me so that you can know how to talk to me. And he actually did. And then when he read it, he's like, whoa, like I didn't even realize like you how you handle things. So we got him an assessment and we're like, wait a minute. I've been approaching you wrong because you're a high S and then I'm a high C and I'm task oriented and you're real people oriented. What? OK, so we're not handling this the right way. So then there we go into how do we use this information? So we started researching and figuring out what type of things we can do to work together. So we actually started planning time for me and him. We we're like, okay, the kids go to bed at eight. We will spend from nine to 11 together, focusing on us, on our marriage, on our lives. And this turned into first, it was like a couple of times a week. And it's literally now it's every night, every night we make sure that we spend time together. Now it's become, instead of it being work, it, or like work oriented where we're focused on a task. Now we're just enjoying each other and we're uh, getting this opportunity to say, hey, look how far we've come. Look how far, what look what we've done because of the work that we've put in. And we're able to sit here and smile with each other and enjoy our family now. But even when, even when I'm not enjoying myself, I, I understand that, <laughs> that it's not about me, you know? <laughs> not about whatever yeah. she's going through. Yeah. It's not, it's not he knows it's very important me. to me. <laughs> it's something about something that she's dealing with. And <laughs> and that's what that's what it's taught me. It's taught me not to identify and attach all her feelings and emotions and actions to me as her husband. Yes. And she's a person. And and she it's has high. to heal. Like I have to, I gotta support her heal, but I can't push her to heal. You know, I, I can I can try to inspire as much as possible. But like with everything, she's been on her own time, even like with studying and you know, certain things I've known that it would help her like meditation. She has her own form of meditation. I, yeah, I she do. don't realize that she meditate every time when she's in the shower. I do. And she's sitting there and she's just thinking <laughs> when she's not singing. Right. But she's <laughs> meditating. It's the same thing I'm doing. But before she realized that, you know, I would tell her, babe, this would help you. This would help you. This would help you. And she wouldn't try it. You know, it's, I'm like, babe, you got to try it because you smoking cigarettes and you and you, you acting like you're scared of this. Like I, I promise you, it's just in your mind. But honestly, like, it, and I think that's what marriage is all about. So as I, if I wrap it back around, I, I just say that's kind of like what marriage is all about because 
being married at a young age, I don't know what her trauma was, neither did she know what mine was. We didn't know how it was gonna come back and how it was gonna affect us as we became adults and married adults. And then we also didn't know that she had to still heal and I had to heal and I had to support that healing. Like I just, I didn't know that. I thought that marriage was just, hey, me and you, we get together and- I got the last name, you got the last name. And then we stand at the same house and we have intercourse and babies and that's it. Nah, it's it's a lot of work that goes into it. I don't even think we um, even talked about our childhood trauma until we were in our thirties. We didn't express to each other that we even had those type of issues until we were in our thirties. Well, tell you, tell me, you'd be like, why are you like this? Yeah. Why are you like, oh, because your mama and your daddy and your cousin and your sisters. Oh, I get it. Now it makes sense. But, you know, a lot of what you guys are talking about is part of this normal process of development over the course of a relationship and a marriage. And to hear that you guys kind of went through this on your own and were figuring this out on your own, it's it's very unique. Mm-hmm. And most people usually need that kind of guidance because they're locked into what they were taught growing up. You know, face-to-face time, which what we call face-to-face time. Couples should be spending a minimum of six hours a week face-to-face talking about their relationship, right? And it is work. It's not always fun. And that six hours is based on a study that was, was found that happy, healthy couples spend that minimum amount of time together. So the fact that you guys figured that out, that you were going to do that, that is exactly what we teach our couples to do, right? And and what you're talking about as far as processing that past history and that past pain, I mean, yes, it takes up until age 30 or being with their, you know another well, person for a very long time. Well, I think there's different levels at different ages. So hang in there, 50s are rough too. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the number one thing we see is couples are spending zero time together and we're distracting ourselves with all sorts of things. So what advice would you have for a couple that is going through either a deep trauma or a, or an affair? I would say that don't make any permanent decisions based off of temporary emotions. I think that if you really want to fight for it, Things like that, you can definitely be able to get past and get through, and it's going to make you stronger, um, given those type of situations like infidelities. and Because there is some times where it just isn't meant to be. But you have to make that, you have to make that decision for yourself and don't base it off of ego. That's for me. What about you? <laughs> um, first off, I would say address it. I would, I would say address the issue. Um, not just the infidelity, but what was the reason? What was the reason behind it? Why did the person do what they did? Uh, because honestly, there's some underlying problem when there's infidelity, and it doesn't mean that they have that the person has a right to do what they did. But I want to know what the energy was that made you make that decision, and then can we address that? And, and we need to, there's, there's no putting no on hold, no time limit. You know, if the woman or the man feel like they need to separate then and they need to separate for the time being, um, if that looks like 
staying with a, with a parent for a month or two. Because when we're talking about marriage and life, this is serious. Like, it's real serious. You got to take a, a short break to recalibrate and align yourself and, you know, to heal. Then you got to do what you got to do instead of making another person suffer or instead of making a permanent decision. Uh, and within that time, if a person does choose to do that, they have to be willing to let go for the time being and just, you know, hopefully that the other person don't make another baby or something like that. Yeah, you got <laughs> to be, gone. you got to be, you know, do you just responsible too? But, you know, it's, it's destiny, it's divine. If, if it's meant to be, it'll be, you know, honestly, right. it, it just really will. Uh, if, if, if it was infidelity, if that's what it was, then you just got to go with what comes with it. With Tiffany, Tiffany needed to see me in pain in order for her to heal. It was just how it was. I don't know why it was like that. And I, I realized that. So maybe at certain times, I, I kind of like act like I was in more pain than I was or I was madder than I was. But that didn't work. I just like a jerk. So <laughs> I was like a jerk. But, you know, so and then when it comes to, to trauma, when it comes to a trauma, you have to realize that you got to heal. Right. I mean, the person who has experienced it, whether it's you or the, your, your loved one, you have a responsibility to not only heal, but to be there for that person and help them to heal as well. Whatever that looks like. That whatever, whatever that looks like for you in your relationship with that person. Um, but it's all based on a person's relationship, honestly. Like you can't really coach a person on how to deal with their situation in a, in a relationship because their relationship may just not be on that level. They, they, maybe they didn't have that bond to come together to make the family, you know, the picket fits and all of that. Sometimes, sometimes couples come together because it's convenient for them. And then some other couples, they have their own intentions. So just realizing what your intention is, uh, you know, doing an alignment where you figure out what, what this person wants and dreams and goals are in life and, you her figured out what her goals and dreams are in life and figuring out how we can help each other through the process and be willing to have the hard conversations. Absolutely. You gotta be willing. You gotta take, you gotta take what you can give and accepting accountability. That's a lot of problems in marriages that a lot of people mm -hmm. want to point the finger, but they don't want to accept accountability. They'll say, Oh, I did this because you did that. It's not about that. Take accountability for what you have done in your marriage and fix it. Yeah, you got to drop the ego. Yeah. And if you don't know what that is, you, you should study it. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> it's a whole entire study. Like, it's, it's going to take about 10 hours for you to really study, learn it. But then it's going to take some work dropping it. Mm -hmm. But when you can do that, you can become vulnerable. Uh, not just vulnerable. You can just be true to yourself. When you when you deal with the truth in life, honestly. It feels, it, it hurts, but it feels good. It's kind of like what we're dealing with in America right now. Like. We're about to deal with the truth, but the truth is going to set us free. We're going to be better at the end of it. And honestly, that's 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 how everything is in life. Nothing that is weak or that is fake and nothing that has a foundation can stand for too long. It just won't happen. Eventually, it'll deteriorate and it's going to break down. And that's the best time for you to build it back up to being something stronger than it's ever been before. And all of that takes accountability. Can you guys talk a little bit about your your organization and what your organization is about and what it does? 
Yes, uh, Dream Safe Project is a 501c3 nonprofit where we specialize in helping families cope with tragedies. So we provide uh, life coaching services. We have a lot of resources to uh, different uh, people in the community that can help with um, therapy. And, and we also have a CPR. Uh, we have CPR instructors that go out and, and promote safety CPR. We do care packages for families with children in the hospital. Uh, we help provide like um, uh, financial assistance as well. And we also spread safety awareness for pedestrian safety and crosswalk safety. Um, we, we're really, really big on that portion right now. Uh, just spreading safety awareness to make sure that no, that all children are safe while driving the car or being a pedestrian out in on the roadways. That is so wonderful. And and is there a website that people can access if they wanted more information? Yes, that is uh, www.dreamsafe.org. And are the books you guys have written, are those connected to that website as well? No, those are actually connected to, uh, we have a, a placeforyourvision.com. Um, we definitely do give out a lot of goodies as well with our books. Um, the number four. Place four. Oh, place for your vision, the number <laughs> four. Um, I'll send that information to you uh, as well. And um, yeah, and then also Brandon has IamBrandonWard.us. He's a motivational speaker. He goes into the schools and and does a lot of great things with the with the uh, the teens in the community, uh, junior high school junior high school students. He's also does a lot of things with another nonprofit out here, Gentlemen's by Choice as well. Yeah, it's wonderful. You guys are doing a lot of great work. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. You know, in hearing your story, it sounds like your daughter's journey in the physical mirrors your guys' journey in the spiritual. And it's really beautiful to see that, you know, and even now you still see there's residual effects and you're still handling things and dealing with stuff. And, you know, it's a life, it's a whole lifetime. You know, if anyone out there thinks that, you know, I love when people say, well, I already worked on that. <laughs> like, yeah, well, have you ever weeded your garden? <laughs> they come back right, up, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to keep at it and you have to keep working at it. So that's great to see. So last question, what is it that your partner does that you know they love you? You go first. I want to hear you. <laughs> so the one thing is she tells me, you know, and she walks behind me and she shows me affection that the walking behind me means a lot because it's why I'm not, I'm not looking at her. I'm not, I'm not paying her no attention. And, you know, she can walk right by if she wanted to, but you know, if she's still wanting my attention and she's still wanting my touch, then that means she loves me. That's what it means to me. That means the world to me. Wow, that's the same for me. I was going to say that. Really? Yes. I love when we flirt. We walk past each other all the time. And we just like, like, if we walk past each other, we have to touch each other in some kind of way. And it's so, it's so crazy that we still do it to this day from when we first started dating. And I love it. Oh, another thing is, <laughs> is when she mad at me. And she gave me a kiss. That's, That's a oh, tough really? thing to do. That's tough. <laughs> That's a high level skill. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I don't ever, and you want to know what that, the reason why I can say I do that is because I don't ever want him to go out of this house a day. I'm mad at him and I do not show him love because even though he would, could leave, he, there's a chance he could not come back. Our, our lives changed within an instant. 
Our daughter had just said this is the best Halloween ever and then was hit by a car seconds later. So, yeah, that means a lot to me. Like, I'm not going to I still love you. So I'm mad at you. But this is temporary. I'm not going to show you when you leave this house that I'm mad at you. Well, that's an amazing, you know, perspective that you guys have. And, you know, I imagine it just kind of helps you stay focused on, you know, being in the present and connecting with each other. You know, it it comes down to sometimes wearing the same color every day. And you didn't even know that your partner was connected, right? right. You guys are matching too. Are matching. We, did not, we did not think that this is going to happen. I promise. And this we're matching you guys too. Yeah, all maroon. <laughs> it's a maroon day. The couple synergy. That's right. Yes. I love that. But that is, you know, you guys have each done your own individual work and you've also done relationship work. You can't just do one or the other. It doesn't really work. And you've got, you've done the full, you know, thing. That's, that is the couple synergy, right? That's awesome. (laughs) Well, guys, we, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been really awesome connecting with you guys. Yeah, it's Thank been really you so great. so much for having us. It was a pleasure. It was great to hear your show, your story. And, you know, couples have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. We want to wholeheartedly thank all of our listeners for joining us and on Couple Synergy today. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as the Couples Weekend Intensive and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. Know that you're really not alone. There is someone else going through what you've been through. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.